This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And hey, you <laughs> out there in podcast land. Hey. How's it going? It's going all right. I'm in a fight with my wildlife guy. <laughs> no. So that's my life. That's happening. I thought you guys were on good terms. What happened? So did I. Oh, no. So did I. Um, He's here all the time because I've got no shortage of animals trying to move into my house. Yeah. Give us a little bit. We haven't actually talked about that in a couple ups. So, okay. (laughs) You had groundhogs, raccoons, and bats. Groundhogs have been moved. Yes. Raccoons have been moved. Raccoons have been moved. Okay. Um, Bats have been there. He put some kind of cone to take the bats to the point where they don't want to come in my house. That's right. Bat code. I forgot about that. So that's cool because bats are doing like whatever he he did. So they're not hanging out anymore. Okay. But now I have squirrels in my attic. And this, I think it's just one like pernicious red squirrel. Um, and he's been bold since the fucking start. I've seen him all summer terrorizing other squirrels. He's loud. He's chirpy. And he's in the attic space right above my bedroom. So a few weeks ago, I wake up to what sounds like a tiny bowling game happening (laughs) above my head. And I was like, what the actual shit is that? And it's like he had found some kind of crab apple and was just basically rolling it around the attic. And then as time went on, like over the week, I could hear him scratching and chewing on shit. Oh, boy. So I was like, all right, time to call my dude. So I call my dude. (laughs) and i'm like hey we have another critter and i hope it's just one but he's in my attic and he starts getting to work at about 4 a.m and he stops usually around like sundown um but i don't enjoy his hours at all and (laughs) i need you to get him out of my house well okay my question really is how come there's been so many breaches like yeah i feel like once you were able to get a bat out that would mean a squirrel couldn't come in right but maybe i'm wrong about that well that's what i thought too but what i didn't realize is that squirrels and groundhogs are the type of animals whose teeth grow continuously if they don't chew on shit and my house is made entirely of like wood (laughs) and so they're basically just chewing through the sides of my house because it's an old barn like i don't have vinyl siding god like, get him a fucking pacifier, get him a fucking chew toy. Like, come on, your house? I thought about getting one of those, like, corn cob things that you stand up and, like, let animals chew on. Like, yeah. But no, they're just like, your house is what we want. There's something about the wood. Maybe it's, like, a sweet paint that they used. Oh, Lord. I don't know. But they want my goddamn house. So I'm 
looking up like, hey, is there a type of clear coat I can put on the outside of my house to keep animals away? Because <laughs> I am losing my mind at this point. Yeah. With the sheer number of animals trying to get it. Like, I would not be surprised if I went downstairs for water and there was a fucking deer in my kitchen just like having a cup of coffee. Like, hey, what's up? Okay. Every time you come to this pod and you talk about an animal, all I can imagine is that you are like George Harrison in the I Got My Mind Set on You video where you're just <laughs> sitting there playing a fucking guitar in a chair and then there's just animals moving around all over. <laughs> That, I mean, well, that is, could not be more accurate. <laughs> that is precisely my day. I sit down and I'm like, what animal is it going to be today? Squirrel? Hedgehog? Groundhog? Deer? Are they going to be wearing a flannel bathrobe? A nightcap? I don't know. Who's playing that sax tonight? Who's playing that fucking saxophone? <laughs> Who's got the harpsichord? Who's got the, <laughs> the fucking clarinet? It's like, that is exactly my life. You have nailed it. Oh my God. So I've got this squirrel in the damn attic and I was like, I called him up and I'm like, hey, I need you to, you know, help me take care of this and got this very involved story about how he can't come to my house because he's got a lot of family shit going on. Mm. And I'm a compassionate person. I was like, okay, no problem. Let me know when you can get here. Um, knowing that I will just be living with this squirrel and listening to it eat its way through my house in the meantime. So two weeks later, he's like, hey, um, I can come out there on Friday. I was like, okay, great. He shows up on Friday. And there's a thing that happens when certain men see that I live here by myself. Mm -hmm. Some of them are like, cool, have fun. Um, most of them are like, oh, you got to do this and that, and you fix this and you do that and you fix... And I, there's nothing that makes me angrier faster than anyone, but particularly a dude, yeah. assuming that I'm an asshole and I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like a lot of this is new to me, but I'm learning and I'm willing to learn and do it. So his approach is very like, oh my God, there's so much around your house that needs to be done and blah, 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 and this and that. And I was like, I just want you to take care of the squirrel. Um, but he didn't. Instead, what he did on Friday was he, he busted out his leaf blower and spread all the leaves away from the foundation in the corner of my house and got all the leaves off the roof. I mean, I was genuinely in bed taking a nap and I saw him walking on my roof and I sprang out of bed like my ass was on fire. I was like, what is happening? I did not realize this man was going to be on my fucking roof. Right. So he decided to spend the day blowing leaves. And I was like, cool. What about the squirrel? <laughs> Came back Saturday and it was the same thing. He's like, well, this needs to be done and your gutters need to be clean and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, just the squirrel. Just the squirrel. Just the squirrel. <laughs> that is all I fucking need you to do. I appreciate that you're looking out for me. Please just take care of the squirrel. And what really bothers me is that it then turned into a conversation that was like, hey, what are you doing with your barn? Have you ever thought about renting it out? Like, maybe you could rent it out to me. And um, it would just be my my tools and sometimes me. And I was like, no, what? my insurance is not cover that at all. What? Yeah. And then it was I, when you know, he's, he came inside to like look at something and he was like, oh, your kitchen's demoed. And like, did you find someone decent to do the work? And I was like, yeah, I'm very comfortable with my contractor. I'm very happy. And he was like, well, what are you paying for like this reno? Blah, blah, blah. Uh-uh. And I'm like, I don't want to tell you that. And I was like, it's I'm like, I'm paying what it's worth. I'm paying. It's completely within my budget. And he was like, well, you know, 
I'm always looking for winter work, so don't do too much. And I'm like, oh, I see. So now this has turned into you trying to get more work out of me by telling me all this shit that's wrong with my house. And P.S., you're still not doing the job I hired you to do. (laughs) Dude, this is turning into a cable guy scenario real fast. First of all, he is bold to ask you to rent out a part of your property to him. Like, thank you. Even for his damn tools, let alone, it's going to be like a practice space where he's like, oh, it's just where I practice, but then I also sleep on the couch every night. Right. Uh, no, <laughs> that is a bold ask. I don't care at what stage of wildlife extermination you are at, but like, right. come on, dude. But come on. That's nuts. So I'm just, and, and it, it sucks that like, I don't like being put in that position. Yeah. Um, I'm getting very good at saying no, but I don't like being put in that position. And again, you're still not doing the work I need. And I also now am dealing with your stank attitude because he's been texting me and like with eye rolling emojis. What? No. Yeah. Not the yeah. eye rolling emojis. Come on. Yeah. Cause I said he I was like, he's like, I'm gonna be there tomorrow. And I was like, great. Are you gonna cover up the three planks on the porch? Cause that's what he pointed out where he thought that might be where he's getting in. And I'm like, are you gonna put the netting around that? And he was like, maybe. I don't know. Let's see. Um, but I don't think they can get in there. He's like, I don't think that's where he's getting in, because then he would have to like run down the length of your house towards the other end. And I'm like, well, he does run. And he wrote back, well, that's something you should have told me the first day. And then he put the eye roll emoji. Oh, and I was just like, hell no. Why am I paying you <laughs> to like get such a fucking attitude with me? Look, I don't know what happened in this process where the Tiger King has decided that he can talk to you any kind of way. I, I, as your friend, do not appreciate that shit. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. And so I've been like avoiding my texts tonight because I'm like, I don't want to fight with this man. And I also don't want to give him any more money. (laughs) And I don't want to deal with this shit. Like, I just want to get rid of a squirrel. That's all I need. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't want to debase the entire profession of wildlife exterminators. (laughs) But there's a moment where I think maybe it takes a special kind of person to be able to do something like that. And this guy has that in spades. Right. For for certain. For certain. And like the thing about the roof shit, it's just that thing where you're like, okay, I get that you should be blowing leaves off and cleaning up gutters. It's not good to have like dry or wet leaves just hanging out in nooks and crannies. I get it. But like the job is to get the squirrel out of my damn attic. Then the preventative measures can happen. Like yeah. take it one step at a time. And again, I'm not an exterminator. I don't know if that's actually how it's done, but it feels like back to the lecture at hand. Do you know what I'm saying? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This is exactly how I feel. Like, granted, I did think for sure, let me just get through this fall and winter and then next year I'll get the tools I need to do the shit I need around this house. Yeah. Um, and I, I definitely am a person who thought... Leaves are just leaves. They'll just turn into soil. It doesn't matter. It's nature. Just I don't have to rake them or do anything with them. Until it was pointed out to me by this man that if I let the leaves pile up um, and get wet all winter, it will affect the foundation of my house. (laughs) And I was like, okay. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm I'm in the market for a leaf blower myself for the same reason. So maybe we can uh, both ask that from each other for Christmas this year. (laughs) Oh my God. Let's go halvesies on a leaf blower and just drive it back and forth between Atlanta and New York. Gotta do my annual hand off the leaf blower to Danielle trip. (laughs) 
<laughs> Gotta book my hotels. Look, you better put it on your Christmas list and then I will do the same and it'll be like the gift of the Magi, but not because it's like we both get exactly what we want. <laughs> Listen, I'm way into fucking practical Christmas gifts, okay? Same. I love a practical gift, so. Well, here's what I need. I need squirrel traps and a leaf blower because I don't think I should pay this man (laughs) anymore. (laughs) Okay. I'm just saying that an eye roll emoji is, that's a threat, if you ask me. Yeah. Like, you don't casually use an eye roll emoji. I don't give a shit. Like, it ain't cute, whatever the hell is going on. If you send me an eye roll emoji, it's because you think I'm a fucking asshole. Exactly. like you said, I don't like feeling like a fucking asshole. So don't send that shit to me. I'm not about it. I don't appreciate it at fucking all. And also, let's keep some professionalism here because I'm definitely a very friendly person. I'm a very compassionate person. Like, I understand when I hire people to do things for me that I am so grateful that they are able to do it. And but let's keep some professionalism here. Like the guy who installed my water softener wasn't like, hey, you fucking bitch. How come you didn't put this fucking tile on the ground? Like that. Like, let's keep it real. <laughs> like, you like, goddamn idiot. By the way, you got an extra room. P.S. <laughs> you goddamn asshole. Can I move in? It's like, what? It also goes back to the inherent fucking misogyny of Men who assume that women are helpless. Thank you. And that women should not own homes by themselves. Right. Thank you. And again, like, I understand this is a big job. It's a lot of house. I'm figuring it out as I go in a lot of ways. But this is also where I feel like I'm lucky enough and I've budgeted enough to be able to hire people to help me with the things I don't understand. Right. And I don't want those people to then turn around and make fun of me for not understanding the thing that they do for a living. (laughs) I just want them to do it. (laughs) Like, don't make me feel bad for not having decades of expertise in a certain, like I would never hand him a pen and a piece of paper and be like, why don't you write a fucking book? You asshole. (laughs) (laughs) We do different things. Like it's okay. So yeah, that's where I am this week. Avoiding my phone and text messages right now, because I just do not want to fight with this man. And I'm pretty sure after this conversation that I'm resolved to the fact that I'm going to have to find a new wildlife person. Well, I hate that that relationship tanks so quickly. Uh, It feels like just yesterday you were talking about how great he was. But you know what? As we know, doing this podcast, people can turn on a dime. (laughs) And that seems like that's what happened here, unfortunately. So... Also, as I get older, my tolerance just decreases for this kind of shit. Where I'm like, oh, no, I'm not doing this. Bye. Yeah. (laughs) I just am not the one at all uh, for any of this. So, yeah. A couple of friends of mine had thought for sure that this was going to be like the Hallmark movie meet cute that would lead me to my next partner. And it absolutely is not. (laughs) No weddings in my future. (laughs) Why does everybody want you to have a meet cute? Thank you. I think people are watching too much TV. I think it's just COVID. Everyone's been locked in their houses. And most people I know are already, you know, they have partners. So I think they're just kind of like living vicariously through my sad single ass where they're like, oh, my God, you could meet a vet who's also a construction worker and then you'll get married. And I'm like that. You need to visit where I live before you start making these proclamations. They just don't know. And you know what? Like, look, when it comes down to it, Part of like what I experienced in the past couple weeks going to all these weddings, because I got to tell you, I've been to like a couple weddings 
Um, and I don't know why they've been happening all at once. Maybe it was like a COVID <laughs> backlog that was just trying to rectify itself. And because honestly, like I hadn't gone to weddings in a while. It had been a, at least yeah. a couple of years because most of my friends are already married and are already divorced. So I figured <laughs> the wedding <laughs> shit is over. Right. Because after a certain amount of time, you get to a certain age where you're like nobody's getting married anymore. Right. Even the people who are truly in love, even people who have had meat cutes with their wildlife exterminators, those people know to elope. No one's having a wedding. Thank you. Right. Well, this is this is the thing. It's like even if at this stage in our lives, even if you are getting married again or you're getting married at all, most people are like, let's just keep it small. There's no need to go wild with this. Right. Like they already have a 401k. They need to put money in. Yeah. And like a retirement plan that they'd rather spend money on. So, yes, at our age, certainly. But yeah, I got I, I had to remember that I do know people who are younger than me <laughs> and Oof. those people are having weddings. First mistake, you know, people that are younger than you. <laughs> <laughs> look, you said that we weren't going to be ageist on this podcast and look what's happening. Uh, <laughs> yes, I have friends who are younger than me, um, who are, <laughs> ma- who are getting married for the first time. And listen, far be it for me to tell them that it's all downhill from here, but whatever. <laughs> Godspeed folks. But I, yeah, I've been to a couple weddings and I realized, I think I've, I've, I've turned a corner on the type of wedding guest that I am. And uh, this definitely is age related. Like I am not the person that was going to weddings in my twenties being the fucking, you know, the girl that was uh, taking shots with the DJ and the uh, caterer. This is another thing. Like now I am the weird old lady at the wedding, (laughs) the single weird old lady wearing like a maxi dress a maxi dress uh, with a shawl over it who sips on one fucking drink the entire night alone and kind of just sits there and then secretly leaves. I, I, I don't see anything wrong with this. <laughs> I see absolutely nothing wrong with this. I think that it is definitely it's, it's jarring to realize like these monumental sort of events do kind of force a perspective sometimes. And it is weird to realize like, oh, now I'm this person at these kinds of functions. Um, But thank God you're that person. (laughs) Thank God. There's enough people out there ripping it up, getting drunk, fucking throwing their shoes to the side while they dance and slide around the floor. There are too many people going home with broken bones from weddings that, and you don't need to be one of them anymore. Look, for many years, I was actually a wedding DJ, Yeah, which is the worst fucking job on planet Earth. I don't care what job you have. It's the worst job on planet Earth. Okay. Coal miners move over. Look, <laughs> I, I don't care who you are. It, you can't get any worse than being a wedding DJ because you are truly fucked. It doesn't matter how cool the people getting married are. You are always gonna get shit on no matter what because i when i was doing weddings you know i think a lot of times i was not charging a lot of money so that made me very hireable <laughs> like everyone's like oh she does this shit for like a couple hundred bucks cool <laughs> and i'm sure that brought out the best clientele 
Yeah. So they were like, yo, we are hiring the cheapest woman in town. She completely undervalues her services and we love it. So <laughs> not only was I getting hired because I was cheap, but also because, uh, you know, I had like cool records. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that most wedding DJs are trash. A lot of them are. And a lot of them ch- overcharged for the trash. Yeah. But like, you know, some once in a while you would get like a couple who were like cool and liked indie rock and they were like, yo, she might have some guided by voices records. So let's hire her. And she's also extremely cheap. So I would do these fucking weddings and I really worked with the couple and I'd be like, yo, send me a list of like 25 of your most favorite songs of all time. Like, just give me a playlist and I'll play whatever you want. Um, I don't care how obscure it is. If you want to hear fucking Black Moth Super Rainbow or whatever the fucking band is like. You're like, here's what's up. I will I will dig up any member of any band you want and play these records through their bones. If you want to hear the most obscure Japanese noise band, I got it. I'll, I'll, I'll go to iTunes and fucking download their entire discography. Like, fuck it. Let's go. But... You show up with that shit, okay? And it doesn't matter because those people have family. Yes. And the family doesn't want to hear guided by voices or any kind of fucking ambient fucking jams you've got. They want to hear Britney Spears and the chicken yes. dance and all the shit that you didn't bring. They want to hear Dexie's Midnight Runners. <laughs> and they will get drunk and tell you to your goddamn face Mm-mm. how terrible of a DJ you are because you don't have j- the jams that they want to hear. And it's everybody. They send in, first of all, it's usually, okay, This the, the first person that comes up to you is usually a husband of a bridesmaid. Mm-mm. The husband comes in and is like, hey, guys, you're doing a great job. Listen, here's the thing. I like this music. But that 75-year-old woman over there, she kind of wants to hear something different. You're doing a great job. Love the tunes. The tunes are killer. But you got to shake it up a little bit. You know, maybe don't play, you know, some of this indie rock shit and play some some big monster wedding jams. So it starts out with that guy. And then subsequently, it's like a sister, Mm-mm. a friend, couple friends. When you start getting to the aunts and uncles, you're in deep shit. And if it's a parent or a grandparent, you might as well just fucking quit and drive away. That's all I got to say. My MO, were I a wedding DJ, would be this. The first of those shitty messages, the first of those salty dudes, the husband of the bridesmaid. I put on that jock jam that goes do, 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 do. And I play only that for the rest of the fucking night. And then I pack up and I leave. Too Unlimited, I think that's who you might be referencing. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. But here's the thing. Sometimes you don't bring the jock jams because you were expecting this fucking indie rock cool couple to only want to hear Blonde Redhead or whatever the fuck, and now you're screwed. And it's their fault. And they can't yell at the bride and groom, or I, w- I should say they don't have the balls to yell at the bride and groom on their wedding day. So they're yelling at you, and you're like, your friends pick this. Your friends who just got married who are over there in the corner puking, they pick this. Yeah. Your daughter and or son picked to play these obscure fucking jams, okay? So no, I don't have Boston's more than a feeling. That's the thing. (laughs) 
But I learned my lesson. So what what ended up happening was towards the end of my career as a wedding DJ, I basically was like, all right, I'll pull all your fucking Velvet Underground bullshit. Like, I'll do all that. But let me put an entire iPod's worth of fucking Jock Jams volumes 1 through 18. Uh, you know, put all the fucking, now that's what I call music, volumes 1 through 79. Yes. Just an entire iPod of of literal, like, party music. So I don't end up walking away disgraced from this fucking wedding that I only made $200 at. Oh, my God. So smart. But I just, the fatal mistake here is that the people getting married assumed that this wedding was going to be about them. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> like you want to dance to blonde redhead, you do that in your fucking hotel room. Because your granddad wants to hear fucking Cole Porter. This wedding is not for you. <laughs> that is really the takeaway. Is to all the young folks out there that want to get married and stuff, you think this is your wedding, but it ain't your wedding. It's your family's wedding. Plain and simple. And if you want it to be your wedding, elope. Yes. Elope or courthouse it. It's the only way you're going to get exactly what you fucking want. And listen, if you elope, I will still show up to the Vegas <laughs> chapel with my Shaw and my one drink where all the ice is melted because I've sat there with it for four hours. And I'll be a weird lady at that. Just call me. I do charge more this time, but I am just saying I, I will be that for you, even if you elope. And I will show up right behind Millie with a boombox and play. <laughs> you would just hear that on a loop for eight hours at every wedding I DJ'd. Y'all ready for this? And they'd be like ble bleeding ears and like throwing themselves on the floor. Listen, I could listen to 16 whole minutes of that song. Um, <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, but uh, well, look, I'm I'm sorry that you have friends who are still getting married. I'm glad that you made the effort. You're bet you're a better person than me. I I think I texted this to you over the weekend when you sent me you sent me a photo of yourself at this wedding that was pure John Waters. I loved every minute of it. <laughs> and I was like, look, you showed up, so you've, you're already a better person than me because I would have just sent a gift and said good luck. <laughs> like, I'm out. Look. You roll the dice when you invite me because uh, I am Queen Carlotta at the fucking <laughs> shit. Like, may that be a warning for all the younger friends that I have just saying, like, if you're ready for a weird old lady in weird makeup with a <laughs> cigarette hanging out of her mouth in a maxi dress, then go ahead. Send me that invite. Smash that invite button. <laughs> send me that e-card well speaking of um younger people getting married our theme this week is about i think the exact opposite thing are y'all ready for this because i am <laughs> <laughs> i am so fucking overjoyed by this theme this week i am as well even just looking at the title makes me so happy. I was so psyched to see this coming up on our calendar. <laughs> <laughs> me too. What, what's our theme this week? Our theme this week is Sundays with Granddad. Oh! <laughs> it's quaint, but also really fucking funny. And very specific to our experiences <laughs> as people. 
Well, talk about it. What's so tell me about Sundays with granddad. So my granddad for his entire life, he basically only took off on Sundays. And it was his day to be a full old man. So it was long walks to the park to get away from his family. <laughs> you know, just hanging out and eating what he wanted to eat. And crucially, watching whatever sports game was on and mm. watching WPIX and whatever Western, whatever <laughs> old movie, <laughs> just sitting in front of the TV, falling asleep and commanding control of the TV to the point where you could not change the channel because if you changed it, he would wake up immediately and be like, put that back on. <laughs> so you were kind of stuck with this old man TV all day. And that was how you spent time together. That is so fucking sweet. Like as much as it is hilarious that he would even in his sleep clock you for trying to change the channel instantly. That's so sweet. I, I love it. I love that idea. Um, my granddad did not watch a lot of old movies. He watched a lot of telenovelas from um, the um, folks at Telemundo or Univision. Yeah. Uh, he also watched a lot of soccer. He was really into Univision. And like, <laughs> I remember as a child, like uh, he was sort of into watching the news, like the local news and, and that kind of stuff. Didn't watch a lot of movies, but then towards the end of their lives, they were all about that Spanish language TV. And so I would have loved to have had that like Westerns WPAX moment with my grandpa, but he was just watching like people have affairs. He's like, I want to watch some people get slapped in the face <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> he wants to watch people having babies secretly with priests. Um, that was kind of the vibe of some of these stories, but, um, but listen, a lot of grandpas are into old movies. I mean, why do you think I have a job? (laughs) Thank God. Well, this is the other thing. It's like, maybe your grandpa specifically wasn't into these types of old movies, but you have enhanced and enriched the lives of millions of grandpas (laughs) through your job. You have seen a million grandpas and you've rocked them all. <laughs> yeah. And listen, I actually share a lot of a lot of um, similarities with grandpas in that way. A lot of uh, movies that I like are kind of classic grandpa cinema. So I, when we were thinking about doing this theme, I was like, "Fuck yeah, this is right up my alley." Absolutely, and I and I had to make the distinction of it as a grandpa movie. Not necessarily to be like overly gendered, but because as you all know, my grandmother's movies are horror films. Yes. She takes it a whole different direction. The only black and white Western old style movies on in my house were from him. Because she was like, let's watch Tales from the Crypt. Like she was on a whole other level. See, I, I actually, during this, when I was watching your movie, I began to think, I actually don't know if Danielle's grandma even likes old horror because there's not enough blood and guts. Like she loves the new shit, right? Absolutely. Like don't give her a creature from the black lagoon. Don't give her a blob. There's not enough carnage. There's not enough blood. Right. I would, I would think that even like a Hitchcock movie, she'd be like, this is a fucking snooze. Where is the chainsaw revenge killer? Fell asleep during vertigo. Like she would be, when he was watching (laughs) these movies, she would be on the couch dead asleep. (laughs) 
Like it was nap time for both of them for very different reasons. My grandfather was very soothed by these films and she was bored out of her fucking mind. That is so wonderful. I love that (laughs) your grandma is too hardcore for old movies. If you tell me that you're not into old movies because they don't have enough blood and guts, then I respect that shit. Beyond that... Beyond that, especially like this is something that I learned growing up watching these movies, because the other thing that would would happen is I would come into the house after, you know, doing whatever degenerate thing I was doing as a child. And these movies would be on and I just have to plop down in the middle of them if I wanted to watch TV and not know what was happening. So the psychological terror and the threat and the suspense is some it's like a muscle that I had to build in order to watch and appreciate these these films yeah and you know my granddad would just be like yeah this is a good picture just sit down and watch it and uh, you'll catch on and I'm like will I though (laughs) but you know part of the you know learning the language of these films was part of the joy of sitting down and watching them with him and um, let me tell you my grandma after 50 years of marriage was like no I never learned that language (laughs) and he never learned mine and great (laughs) yeah well listen and there's something so um nostalgic about sunday afternoon movies yes um just the whole vibe of a sunday afternoon absolutely and it happens so infrequently now but It is one of the true joys of life when you have nothing to do on a Sunday and you can just curl up on your couch with a blanket and throw on a movie and like drift in and out of it and just enjoy or just stay awake the whole time and enjoy it in a very comfortable way. It is like a whole it's a reset for your whole system. Yeah. And it's 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 also like particularly with a Sunday afternoon versus even like a Saturday afternoon. I was listening to this podcast um, called Zen Noodle Pie. That is done by a couple of yeah. people I know here in Atlanta. And they mentioned they had a guest one time talk about late afternoon on Sundays, like early evening made them sad. Like there's this melancholy to a late afternoon on a Sunday yeah. because I guess it's like, I don't know, you just know that you have to get up early the next day. Is that kind of like, oh, the weekend's over, this sucks or whatever. And so that Sunday afternoon before that is always like, I don't know, this like good meaty time to like have a moment like where you're on the couch or just like relaxing because you know that like it's the last day of the weekend. And I always like that always like stuck with me because I that's kind of how I feel. I mean, I kind of feel that way about Sundays and the idea that it was it would be this day where you're just sort of like, oh, God, like weekend's over. Now I just have to decompress and watching an old movie. Perfect. Of all the days of the week, I feel like that's the one where I'm most likely to not know quite what to do with myself. Yeah. Like you can't get started on a project because you don't have enough time to finish it. You got to go to work tomorrow. Like what doing laundry. All right, fine. I did laundry. Now what? Or like there's just there's just something about the day where you're like, I don't know what to do with myself in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, Unless you're, you know, my granddad. And then he's like, pop on a movie and go to sleep. That's what you can do. And that's always a good idea. Yeah. And there's also like uh, Saturdays are always like very like chaotic with like events. And also they play a lot of sports on Saturdays. So Sunday is like the chill day. And so yeah. I just love that that's your granddad's day. Yeah. You know, when I when I watch movies on Saturday afternoons, I feel like I'm depressed. Yes. But when I watch a movie on a Sunday afternoon, I'm like, oh, I'm relaxing. I don't know why the 24 hour difference matters. Yes. 
Like it's it's almost like it's allowed on a Sunday afternoon, but a Saturday afternoon, if you're in the house watching a movie, somebody's shaking their finger at you, being like, "You're lazy as fuck. You should be like doing yes. yard work or you know running errands." So you should be blowing leaves away from your foundation. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, well, hey, I think you're going first this week. I am indeed, and I cannot wait. Mm. Uh, so the movie that I chose for our theme of Sundays with Granddad was released in 1962. Uh, it was directed by J. Lee Thompson and written by James R. Webb, who based it on a novel by John McDonald called The Executioners. And my movie is Cape Fear. Cape Fear, starring Gregory Peck. Robert Mitchum, Polly Bergen, Cape Fear, the screen's most terrifying war of nerves. Give me that spooky soundtrack. Mm. I love the soundtrack to this film. It's just like, oh, yeah. Oh, so creepy. Bernard Herrmann. Is that who did it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, I love it so much. And they kept it when they redid, when they remade this movie with Robert De Niro, they kept the soundtrack. And I love, I appreciated that. But we're not going to talk about that remake right now because yes. I want to keep it focused <laughs> on the Sundays with Gramps. So let me first start by saying that this cast is a knockout cast. You've got Gregory Peck, who is everyone's crush. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Mitchum, Polly Bergen, Laurie Martin, Telly Savalas. I mean, it is just a, an incredible cast. Mm. So... Knowing that, who's in this film, I'm going to give you the one-sentence synopsis and see if you can pick out who I'm talking about. <laughs> a recently released rapist with eyes like two puckered buttholes terrorizes a high-assed, long-legged attorney's family after the attorney witnessed him committing the crime that put him in jail for eight years. <laughs> and let me just say that high-assed is a phrase that I recently picked up from my friend Matt Fraction but it is applicable. Okay. Now you've put it into my feckin' brain that Robert Mitchum's eyes look like buttholes. Two puckered buttholes. <laughs> look, I'm not saying the dude isn't handsome. I'm just saying. <laughs> those eyes are creepy eyes. And I think they helped him get a lot of these creepy roles. At bare minimum, he always had high eyes. So there you go. Yes. If I was being kind and not a jerk, then my apologies to the Mitchum family. Your granddad had butthole eyes. <laughs> Sorry about it. Can we throw that into a rap at any point in our lives? I just want to hear Eminem say, your granddad had butthole eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like he is very if I was being a better if I was a better person I would have said he has very sleepy eyes mm -hmm. gorgeous twinkling sleepy eyes um, and Gregory Peck his ass is so high off the ground <laughs> that when he stands next to the, the girl who's supposed to be his daughter in the film the bottom of his ass hits the top of her head okay I have to ask you a little bit. Well, I got two questions for you right off the bat. What's wrong with me? <laughs> that daughter, when when at the very beginning, the daughter shows up and she meets up with Gregory Peck. I was like, how tiny is this girl or how huge is Gregory Peck? Like, I could not decide. 
I couldn't decide. I don't know how old she's supposed to be. Because there's one scene where she like gets into a car and then she slides behind the wheel and turns the key as if she's going to drive it. But then she runs into school and it's like a grade school. Yes. I'm like this is she's the ultimate confuser. I don't yes. know. He he's clearly very tall, but she was very confusing to yes. me <laughs> in terms of her age and size. Yes, she looked positively tiny next to her dad, who could either be seventy four feet tall. We don't know. We don't know. Um, but that leads me to my second question, what which is. What are you? I know you don't want to talk about horny stuff on this podcast, but I, I have to ask you thoughts on Gregory Peck in terms of attractiveness. Gregory Peck, I would destroy that dick. <laughs> Never before has that sentence been uttered. And again, my apologies to the Peck family. My apologies to literally everyone's family who has an actor in this film. Look, I will ruin that dick. Listen, I once talked about Jimmy Stewart's boner, so I feel like you could say that about Gregory Peck. However, I don't know why I expected you to not say that. I don't know why. You know me. You've met me. What else am I going to say? Like, I'd have tea with him and, and shake his hand and send him on his way. Absolutely not. I would ruin that man's life. <laughs> I would ruin his life. Holy shit. <laughs> like, I am legit surprised at that answer. I am delighted by that answer. Delighted. Because you are right. There, there are people who... I, every time I say this to somebody, I pose this question to people. Would you hit Gregory Peck? Okay. Because he's so revered for playing like Atticus Finch and all these like important sort of like, you know, he's like the moral center of yeah. film. Like he's, he's got gravitas. He comes in, he's got the presence and the voice and everything. And you forget that he can also be kind of attractive sometimes. So I'm always like, is it like, you know, which it's almost like asking, would you fuck a Blinken? It's the same kind of question, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'm actually delighted uh, about you saying that about Gregory Peck. It's so fucking great. I feel like he was probably a stone freak <laughs> in the bedroom. <laughs> You can moral center it on film all you want. <laughs> Just going from personal experience, having boned the the quiet dude that was like a normal, nice guy, freaking the sheets. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> fucking valid. I love it. But I I think Gregory Peck is fantastic. He is definitely just so so revered like you said in film he's an incredible career an incredible actor i'm definitely trying to like wheel this back to normal territory after i said i would destroy his dick uh, <laughs> he, is, he is incredible in this film for a few different reasons but i want to back it up first and talk about robert mitchum who plays Max Cady, this violent ex-con, 
who is singularly focused on terrorizing this family. And he is so smooth about how he works into like he works the system to get back at them. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of um, like, you know, the beginning of the film, he shows up and he's like, you don't remember me, do you? And Gregory Peck, who plays Sam Bowden, is like, I actually do not. I am a lawyer. I see many people throughout my life. And good day, sir. (laughs) Um, But he explains like, you know, you and this is what I think is so cool about this story, too. Sam Bowden didn't put Max Cady in prison as a lawyer. He witnessed Cady attacking a woman and was a witness. And his witness testimony is what put him in jail. Right. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, and <laughs> like Max Cady does not. Max Cady is like, fuck you. I spent eight years in jail basically thinking about how I'm going to put all of my energy into you were the person who put me in jail. I'm not going to consider my own stake in this, my own actions. And so he gets out and immediately comes down to Georgia and is like, hey, I'm going to be in your life, basically. Right. And Max Cady is just so, again, he's smooth, but he's creepy. Um, he will he sucks in his stomach so much in this yes. movie. <laughs> I noticed that too. There is a scene where they arrest him because Sam Bowden's like, yo, this dude keeps showing up. What can I do? And the chief of police is like, we got this. We'll pick him up for vagrancy or like whatever bullshit 1950s, 60s rule they had back then where they were like, we don't like you. We're going to make up a law. Um, So they pick him up and they make him get undressed. And he spends like the entire scene sucking in his stomach. And it is so distracting. Yes. Because I'm like, you don't have to have that low of a self-esteem, dude. You look fine. I know. I I was like... Is he trying to pull some like Burt Lancaster shit with like, you know, it's like the inverted triangle of like the broad shoulders and the tiny waist. I was like, all right, Mitchum. Yeah, we don't need the Jack LaLanne of it. Like put the Jack LaLanne away. (laughs) It's fine. You have a perfectly normal body. But he's sucking it in and he's, you know, kind of (laughs) like, you know, he's he's drinking all over town. And um, but again, like he hires his own attorney and they try to get him for 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 not having enough money because he only has seven dollars in his pocket. And he's like, check that bank account again. And they check his bank book. And it's like, oh, shit, he's got $5,000 because he sold a farm. So he's really working it in order to be in this position where he can terrorize Sam Bowden and his family. Um, Mm. He takes a break, a mild break between terrorizing Sam uh, and his family to rape and assault a woman named Diane. And it is still it's such a hard scene to watch. Barry Chase plays Diane Taylor. And. She's kind of into him. Um, He sees her at a bar and he's like, I'm going to give you an hour to get rid of your friends. Um, And she, what she likes about him in the car, she says, you know, Max Katie, you are rock bottom. And so she's kind of into his rough and tumbleness without realizing that he's not just rough and tumble. He's a violent Mm ex-con. He is a violent ex-con. So he assaults her. And the sadness of that scene for me is so and it's been that way since the first time I saw the movie where it's like um you know she is like I can't testify I can't say anything about this cuz I don't want people to know that this happened to me she's like you know I'm someone's daughter you know I'm someone's sister and I don't want to read about myself in the papers and this is one of those moments where I I would be watching movies like this with my granddad and he would look at me and be like, if anyone ever puts a hand on you, you better cut him the fuck up. Like, that's him and my grandma both are just like, how about you slice someone to ribbons? And I'm like, what is wrong with you? 
<laughs> but he used moments like this in these films to like talk about life lessons in a way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially when I was really young and I'd be like, well, what happened to her? And, you know, he would tell me in the little kid way. And then as I got older, he would explain it in like the adult way. But we kind of had like really good talks about life that came out of watching movies like this. So this scene was like very sad, but it also reminded me of like actually sitting down and talking with my granddad about, you know, life. And so I, I it's yeah. a very weird, weird and pleasant memory of such a horrible, horrible thing. So Max is still terrorizing this family. He poisoned their dog, Marilyn. Marilyn, P.S., a great dog's name. Best dog's name. And bummed the dog dies, by the way. So bummed. Marilyn was not long for this world or this film. Um, poisoned by strychnine and they had like the the foam around her mouth that was like so fake and weird but like it just was so sad to see that little dog poisoned fake died and yeah died like it's like no hope no hope and to see gregory peck just pick that dog up and climb in the back of a car with it like fold himself in half bet you you got going there at that part i bet you you were like damn look at that ass hundred percent if he could pick up that dog he could pick me up his ass like hits the roof of the car. Let's go. <laughs> I just want to spend the rest of this podcast objectifying Gregory Peck. Sorry. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> and by the rest of the podcast, I hope you mean the rest of every single episode of this podcast that we ever produce. Uh, that's exactly what I meant. We are changing the focus and the name of this podcast to objectifying Gregory Peck. <laughs> <laughs> we will slowly go through all of his films. <laughs> so he takes his high ass and puts it in the car. The dog's dead. And he's like, you know, he hires a private eye and the private eye is like, yeah, this dude's the worst. Um, Max Katie follows Nancy. He walks very slowly towards her in this car scene where she just gets out of school and sits in the car. And later you realize her mom was shopping and was supposed to be picking her up. But he's just kind of like walking slowly towards her. And mm. she decides to leave the car P.S. Leaving the door wide open, which I get it. You feel like you're running for your life. But like, this is why I think she can't be. She has to be a little kid because little kids do that. Like an actual adult would still close the door. Yes. Still unclear about how old this child is. No clue. And then she runs into the boiler room of her school, which is like, homie, don't pin yourself in a corner like that. And then she escapes out of a window and runs in front of a car. Mm. Like he literally didn't touch her and she terrorized herself into running in front of a car. It's creepy. That's the, the extent of his creepiness in this film is that like he is terrifying. Yeah. So after his kid gets hit by a car, Sam decides like, I'm going to hire these three men to kill Katie. Totally doesn't work. Uh, he beats all the guys up. And so Sam is like, oh, well, if they can't kill him, let's kill him ourselves. And then DMX, what's my name, starts playing. And Sam <laughs> grabs a gun and has this whole plan, this very elaborate plan to pretend to leave town while his wife and daughter are alone on a houseboat in Cape Fear. And then all hell breaks loose. Oh, Lord, does it. Oh, hell breaks loose. I fucking love this movie. It is so good and suspenseful. Even if you've seen it 18 times, it is still scary in the exact same places when Robert (laughs) Mitchum is swimming through the water like a fucking crocodile. It freaks me the fuck out. Yes. He gets out of the water and sucks that stomach in. (laughs) 
and then gets about his business. <laughs> Sucking his stomach. <laughs> it's so distracting. Totally. Totally. But this is this is a be- it's one of those movies that truly like my granddad loved and he instilled his love of this this type of film in me. And I remember watching the Cape Fear remake when it came out. We rented it. And he never liked the remakes. He always said the original is better. But it was just kind of cool and fun to have so many. uh, There's so many films that just evoke that feeling of like I'm hanging out with my granddad. And that was the true joy of that time is that, you know, we built a very lasting connection through film. And um, whenever I want to feel like I'm hanging out with my granddad, I can just watch watch a movie like this. Dude, I had not seen this movie in forever, and it was so fun to watch. I forgot that Robert Mitchum sucked his stomach in so much. That was truly distracting for me. Like, I was like, damn, guy, like, it's totally fine. You can remain shirtless without giving the illusion that you have a 24-inch waist. It's totally fine. Also, two, Polly Bergen is a boss. I don't know if, if anybody knows about her. Totally. She is... So awesome. She was so awesome. She's since passed, but you know, she was a fucking cool lady, feminist, abortion rights activist. Like, yes, she played the first female president. Technically, Uh, she was in a movie called Kisses for My President and she played the president. So that's cool. But she's she's awesome lady. She's incredible in this movie. Absolutely incredible. And like fierce and strong and will not take any shit, but also very protective and loving. And I just, I I just loved her whole energy in this movie. And you're right. Like she acted basically up until the time that she died. She was in an episode of the Sopranos. Like she really had a very wide and storied career and did musicals and, you know, was just, and gorgeous, like just gorgeous face. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And there's also like lots of stories too, about the scene, the egg scene from Cape Fear about, her and Robert Mitchum, you know, where he basically terrorizes her and smears the egg all over oh. her chest. Apparently all of that was improvised <gasps> and she had no idea it was happening. And they were both just like really in the moment as actors. And she was like, after it was over, he basically like went up to her and was like, dude, I was in the moment. I'm so sorry. I hope you're okay. Like, you know, Aww. don't hate me. And he was apparently very apologetic um, for doing it because it was like a total surprise. I don't think like, and I tried to watch that with knowing it this time. Like I was like, Oh, I want to watch her face to see like how she reacts when this m- fucking maniac smashes an egg in his hand <laughs> and then oh my smears God. it on her chest. Like I, you could kind of tell, like I, it do- I don't know. I feel like I'm not projecting. I was like, Oh, I think that's actual fear in her eyes. Yeah. And who wouldn't have actual fear at that point? It was truly terrifying. And then everything that happens after is also really scary. Yeah. And, you know, I just, she played that role to an absolute T. Yeah. Um, And even Nancy, like, I don't understand Nancy uh, in terms of how old she's supposed to be or her size. (laughs) But the, (laughs) the fear that Laurie Martin portrays in the film is incredible. It's like, this is, and this is one of those films too, that when it was released, the director Jay Lee Thompson is British and the film got like X ratings. And it was because the theme of the movie was this continued sexual threat against a child. Right. It was kind of an intensely censored film. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, I think about all that they must have cut 
to even get to this point where they're still able to portray such fear. Um, and I just really, I'm just, I think the cast is incredible to be able to do that. Yeah. Also, I would be remiss if I didn't mention craggy hot royalty, Martin Balsam, who plays the police chief. Just saying. There he is. Those hairy forearms. <laughs> you got you to point him out when you see him. He plays police chief Mark Dutton. And Mark Dutton sucks. He has like this very <laughs> casual noose hanging in his garage yes. that I didn't love. And he's always trying to find like, like we can find legal ways to convince him to leave. Like he's trying to game the system in a way that, you know, he's he was like the, the proto LAPD. Um, yeah. And he sucked, but craggy hot. <laughs> but we respect a craggy hot master. 100%. Working at his craft. Look, we've got, this movie has everything. You've got craggy hot, you've got two puckered butthole eyes, and a high-ass long-legged man whose dick I would destroy. I am still shook by that <laughs> shocking confession. And I love that you picked this movie. Oh, so good. Well, I love your pick as well. Oh, God. <laughs> so my movie is a film from 1948. It was based on a novel of the same name, written by B. Traven, directed by John Huston, and it's The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. These are the men who tried to tap the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Men with an oath on their lips and muscles in their arms, but men with greed in their hearts, ready to break their backs to sell their very souls for gold. So first off, I'd like to refer you to episode 39, where we discussed movies about sports, but not really. Mm-hmm. I talked about the movie Fat City. So I, I, I'm referring you to that episode for two reasons, actually. One, because I talk about John Huston, the director of this film, and sort of talk about his recurring theme of the doomed journey, mm-hmm. as I think I talked about. And since I did that in that episode, I'm not going to go too crazy about it in this one. But the other reason I refer you to episode 39 is because Danielle makes this joke about the treasure of the Sierra Madre being <laughs> the granddad movie to end all granddad movies. <laughs> and in my professional experience, she is right. It is. This is a movie every time it comes on TCM or any other channel, people pop in the DVD, whatever it is, you can hear the canes drop. Yes. <laughs> across the country, across the nation. And my cane. Yeah. Because I think that was where it came from was that I was like, oh, I love that movie too. Me and me and all your grandpas. But um, I mean, look, this movie has a lot of grandpa bait. Not gonna lie. It does. You got... A black and white movie that takes place in the quote unquote old West <laughs> featuring Hollywood legend Humphrey Bogart. You got not one, but two members of the great Houston family, <laughs> the dynasty, the best rat actor dynasty ever, ever. <laughs> and, you know, listen, this movie is a giant allegory when it comes down to it, which may be the reason why grandpas also like it, but also it leads me to my one-sentence synopsis of The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and it is this. Yes, grandpa's got a lesson for you, and it is that if you ever find yourself in Mexico with three down-on-their-luck men who have absolutely nothing to lose, do not, 
do gold prospecting in a champagne tizzy. (laughs) That is masterful. (laughs) Thank you. I figured you'd like that one. Oh, my God. So, like I said, the star of this film is Humphrey Bogart. And at this time in 1948, he was at the height of his fame. This was post-Casablanca and all of the Bogey and Bacall movies he did. And he's playing way against type Mm. in The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, okay? He's playing a man named Fred Dobbs. He's an American who's living in Tampico, Mexico. And... Look, like a lot of the guys that we talked about in Fat City, Dobbs is like unemployed. He's barely scraping together enough money from begging on the street. Mm. And he's real surly, like just a mean motherfucker. (laughs) Dobbs, Bogart starts this movie looking like a Williamsburg barista and he ends this movie (laughs) looking like a wayward Yvette brother. Wayward of that brother. He looks like Teen Wolf at the end of this movie. Listen, they all do. They all look crazy at the end of this film, which I sort of appreciate, but I'm going to sum it up just very simply. It's that in the first 10 minutes of this movie, Dobbs proves that he is the kind of guy who will throw a glass of water in a little boy's face. (laughs) Like... To be fair, he warned that kid. <laughs> Still. But he will follow through. And this is, this is, that was a tough moment because you're like, this is a little kid who is smoking cigarettes from the street and gambling. He's smoking cigarettes that have been tossed to the ground and running a lotto scam. And Bogart's like, I will fucking throw water in your face if you don't get away from me. Yes. Like, look, even though the little kid is actually played by a young Robert Blake. I don't know if a lot of people know that. Even even if that is the case, which it is, the fact that this grown man throws water in this kid's fucking face is bold, I have to say. Permanently endeared himself to me in that role. I bet. This movie was like top 10 instantly, where I'm like, this movie does not fuck around. (laughs) That is the type of dude Dobbs is. And here's the thing. He's periodically running into this other American guy, around town. Uh, And this other American guy is basically doing the same thing. All right. He's a guy that's down on his luck. No job. It's a guy named Bob Curtin and he's played by an actor named Tim Holt. And I got to pause for just a moment to talk about Tim Holt because I feel like he is often overshadowed by the other two stars in this film, right? Mm. Tim Holt was a star of B-Westerns, mostly in the 40s and 50s. He w- so he would appear in non-B-Westerns once in a while, most notably in The Magnificent Ambersons, which is probably his other most famous role besides this one. But as Bob Curtin, Tim Holt is fucking great. He spends the entire movie looking like a skanky rat, but he's also kind of beefy, just kind of this like beefy little hottie. I don't know. I mean, I know we just sat there and objectified Gregory Peck, but maybe I'm just trying to tell you. Trying to balance the scales. It's cool. We got a beefy skanky rat. It's fine. You got to balance it out with the high ass long legged attorney. It's It works. Yeah. I'm just saying he's a he's a beefy little hottie who kind of looks nasty, but I'd still hit. I just listen. Grandpas would never discuss this with you. So thank God I am here to talk about how hot Bob Curtin is. Okay. also, that is my Bumble profile. 
<laughs> a skanky little rat hottie. <laughs> beefy little hottie. I'm going to start referring to myself as beefy. <laughs> I just want to know like how that's going to land with people. I love beefy. It's a great adjective. I love it so much. I love describing people as beefy. Well, I, and I like it more than overweight. Like I'm not overweight. I'm beefy. Yeah. Beefy is good. Substantial. It's like brisket like. Yeah. It's beefy. Um, all right. So Dobbs and Curtin. Okay. They're broke. They're at a shelter after getting screwed over by a day laborer job that they both took. And they overhear this older man next to them talking about mining for gold in the mountain range nearby. The older man is named Howard and he is played by Walter Houston, AKA John Houston's father. Mm. Henceforth, the Houston dynasty of rat actors. Okay. Now, Listen, if you only remember Walter Houston from Doddsworth or something, um, just imagine the complete opposite of that guy, okay? In The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, Walter Houston is basically a clip art image of a grizzled, <laughs> crazy prospector in human form. <laughs> I mean, that's it. He's got the beard. He's got the maniacal laugh. He does a little gangle jangle dance when he's calling you a dummy. <laughs> Like, he is the archetype of that cartoon. I'm never recovering from clip art version of a prospector. Listen, if you if you simply type in crazy prospector clip art into Google, you will find exactly what I'm looking for. This is Walter Houston's character in a nutshell in this film. And here's the thing about Howard. He's got a very zen approach to this gold shit. I mean, he's a wise old man. He knows a few things about mining for gold and he's kind of imparting a bunch of wisdom to whoever's listening and Kurt and Dobbs are listening to him and they're looking at each other like, well, shit, what the fuck are we doing in Tampico? We need to go up that mountain and get this gold and Hey, let's bring this old guy. Cause he seems to know what's up. And also he, keeps telling us that when people find gold, they get really greedy. And then when they get greedy, they turn into stone cold fucking maniacs, but forget <laughs> all that. Let's just give me that shovel. Let's hit the road. Right. Oh God. He's like, so totally Chekhov's gun. Like, I don't know. People find gold and they go a little wacky and they're like, we <laughs> give zero fucks. Let's go. March, March, March. Get some yes. donkeys. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So they scrape together the money for the donkeys and the supplies that they need to mine for gold. And they go out on this journey through the mountains. And of course, wouldn't you know, Dobbs and Curtin are complaining on the first damn day. <laughs> and when it comes down to it, it's mostly Dobbs. And he is already like, it's too hot. Where's the gold already? I can't walk this much. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's just fucking complaining. Meanwhile, Howard is scaling a, the mountain like yes. fucking Mystique from X-Men. <laughs> he doesn't need any water. He's running laps around these fucking young bucks. He's, he's like, get her up it. that mountain like a fucking iguana. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. It doesn't take too long. But after a while, they start finding some gold. And then, of course, as we always say on this podcast, all hell breaks loose. All right? Truly. 
Because once they start finding this gold, they start worrying about all the ways they can get fucked over, okay? Especially Dobbs, okay? We already know he's a motherfucker, right? But he doubles down on that by being 100% high-key paranoid freak. Like, he's talking to himself. He's convinced himself that Howard and Curtin are sus and... They are just waiting for him to turn his back so they can kill him and steal his gold. And he thinks all of this, even though Curtin is out there saving his damn life, not once, but twice. (laughs) And Howard is out there being like, hey, we can just split it three ways every time we find gold so that, you know, everyone just carries their own share. Nobody has to worry about it. Yeah. Howard's got, like I said, he's he's been around the block he's he's got a very chill zen attitude about finding gold meanwhile Dobbs is freaking the fuck out at every moment i mean imagine imagine feeling like you still got to pull a gun on someone who has dragged you out of a mine that has collapsed on your head and has saved you from getting your hand eaten off by a goddamn gila monster like (laughs) Dobbs is still like yo i gotta sleep with one eye open Oh, this guy, he saved my life two times. That don't mean shit. Oh, God, there's nothing, there's nothing you can do to convince me that this man doesn't try to get my gold. Yes, it's crazy. And for the rest of the movie, after they find this gold, you just start to see how each of these guys are going to face all of the moral dilemmas that get thrown at them on this journey, okay? Because it's not just mind collapses and Gila monsters, okay? There's encounters with real nosy dudes from the town that are like, what's up? Where are you going? What you doing? Who you knowing? <laughs> it's like, mind your own fucking business, dude. What the fuck? I'm just getting some corn. Like, why you got to ask where I've been, right? You got violent bandits, all right? Oof. Those bandits who have given us all the line of we don't need no stinking badges, which isn't actually what he says, but you know, we've bastardized that line from this movie for so long. I can barely remember where it came from. I blame Troop Beverly Hills. Yes. (laughs) But the movie becomes this big game of like, who's gonna blow it? Who's going to blow this endeavor? And the allegory of it is is just how these three men individually handle this doomed journey. It's, it's an impossible yeah. quest. It's a doomed journey, as we have mentioned in episode 39 about Fat City. And the movie also is just always asking the question, like, what kind of person would you become if you suddenly struck it rich? Are you a Dobbs? Are you a Curtin? Are you Howard, who's just kind of hovering over it all, being right. zen and chill? And I think that that is a common element of Westerns, that they just end up being kind of about the big morality questions. And I, and I honestly, I think that's why grandpas love them so much, right? Absolutely, because they're like, it's all laid out right here for you. You just have to choose, and you get to see all of humanity writ large in these characters. Right. And, of course, I am not giving you the ending of The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Are you joking? Never going to do that, because you all need to watch this movie so good with grandpas or without grandpas it doesn't matter just like that mo- that um, episode i forget what episode it was where we said sometimes you have to be your own cool brother yes. sometimes you have to be your own cool grandpa yes <laughs> like watch this movie exactly and despite all of the eye roll emojis that you might be feeling about 
watching something like The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, honestly, like watch it because it is, there is an element of the movie that is like really interesting. Like there, there is the question of like, how is this going to shake out? Like mm-hmm. here's this thing that they're all involved in and they all are broke and they all want money, but then they have to be wary of other things and other people. And if they go in this direction, it's going to not be good for them. And if they go in this other direction, it's going to compromise something else. So it's kind of that, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure type film in that way. Right. And um, I actually think it's a great film. I think it, it is absolutely deserving of the praise that it's gotten. I mean, it's like one of those quote unquote classic important films. And I think it deserves it to be honest, but um, listen, I love this film. I stand united with all the grandpas across the world who also love this movie. (laughs) I salute you. I see you. I just want to know if we're going to talk about the scene where Howard heals a child with tequila. Yes. Look, I was, I was wondering whether or not to bring this up because I was basically like, <laughs> there's a lot going on in these scenes. We, we must bring up the fact that this man uses calisthenics and tequila to bring a child back from the dead. Yes. He uh, slaps, slaps the belly a little bit, pours some tequila down this poor baby's throat, and suddenly he's a god. And <laughs> even Howard himself is like, yo, I don't know what just happened back there, but I guess if they think it's magical, I'm going to let him think that. He's like, I thumped on these palms a couple of times. <laughs> I raised these arms up and down. <laughs> and then I just rubbed some tequila on his gums. I don't know what you want from me. Listen, the actual scene is pretty touch and go. But then when you <laughs> step back and you're like, wait a minute. Did he just like pump that little baby full of tequila and now he's fine? Okay. I guess that's how he does his thing. Just an incredible movie. It is the gift that keeps on giving. And I completely agree with you. It is a classic for many reasons. The the large, the larger themes of life that it portrays, but sometimes you just have to be in it for watching a kid get pumped full of tequila as a life-saving device. And look, if you only know Humphrey Bogart as being this like, you know, kind of like romantic leading man, there are a couple times where he's played a motherfucker and this is definitely one of them. And it's a joy. Oh, yeah. It's a joy to watch because he is he is physically nasty. He looks like shit by the end of this film. They all do. But he is he is fucking nuts in this movie. It's kind of great. I genuinely had to look up pictures of him from like his more suave roles after this. Cause I'm like, I cannot believe that this man was a sex symbol. He looked like a feral mountain goat had like bred with a dust storm. Look, all I ask is that you give Tim Holt in this film, another look, see, because <laughs> dare I say he's kind of a dream guy, beefy, little hottie, Always is trying to live a somewhat righteous life, you know? Um, he All he wants to do is he wants to start a peach farm with his money. He just wants to grow peaches. And you gotta love a guy that has the goal of that, right? Beautiful. I'm so glad you picked this. Thank you for picking this. And this this episode, I feel like, is... 
on the heels of our one year anniversary, yes. I have to say this is exactly why we do this podcast is to make each other laugh. I don't know if I'm ever, ever going to not laugh thinking about you and Gregory Peck. I just can't. <laughs> I was, that is a moment that is, was truly shocking. That was a true shocking moment that I reacted in a very authentic way. And, <laughs> I'm never going to be able to forget it. And I'm, but I'm so glad that you revealed it. It's just exactly the reason why I love doing this podcast with you. This is so fun. And this episode was super great. I mean, it's, it's like we got to hear a little bit about your granddad and we got to hear a little bit about Gregory Peck's ass. What more can you ask for? Why don't you tell these folks the movies that we have picked out for next week? Oh, Lord. I don't even know. I don't even know how to say this. Oh, God, the movies for next week's episode are so fucking good. We've got Set It Off from 1996 and Thelma and Louise from 1991. Damn. Dude. Guess that theme. There's so many possibilities. All killer, no filler. You gotta love it. Um, Listen, if you want to email us for any reason... We are at I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. And you can find us on our social media accounts. We are at I saw pod on Instagram and Twitter. Look, if you need merch for any reason whatsoever, day or night, it's here for you. It's in the exactly right shop at exactly right media.com. And we have so many bonus episodes available exclusively at Stitcher Premium. You can use the promo code saw for a free month. And why wouldn't you? Truly. They are they are so fun. We read so many funny, awesome letters from you guys. It's a blast. So please check those out if you haven't already. And look, I'm not gonna be able to sleep tonight. Um, <laughs> but Danielle, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you. Same, same, same. I will go to any wedding with you and get my jock jams ready. Oh I appreciate that shit, girl. All right. See you next week. Bye. This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Alexis Amorosi. Our engineer is Annalise Nelson. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, and Danielle Kramer. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. Email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. And please don't forget to listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 